Welcome to the Inquisitive VC. Today, I'm speaking to Joey Krug. Joey is a partner at Founders Fund and leads their crypto investments. Joey is also a co-founder of Augur, one of the first projects on Ethereum, and a co-founder of Eco. Prior to Founders Fund, Joey was the co-CIO of Pantera Capital. We talk about practical use cases of crypto, challenges crypto founders face, building crypto native versus building general products, Joey's anti-portfolio, and much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Cool. So firstly, thank you so much again for, for joining. I thought it would be great to kind of start with, I know you've been in, in crypto for quite a while now, so I'd love to understand your background, I, I guess, pre-crypto and, and what really got you into crypto in, in the early days. Yeah. So I'd say pre-crypto, I didn't really do a whole lot pre-crypto. I was just, you know, I, I was like in school before I got into crypto. My first exposure to financial markets at all was with uh, horse betting. I used to build kind of really simple models in Excel and, you know, get about 20 data points per horse and, you know, look across a bunch of different horse races each day and, and pick, you know, a few things to bet on. And that's kind of how I started from, you know, basically, you know, rounding down to zero money to having, you know, a little bit of money. And then I sort of came across like the stock market, crypto, stuff like that within the years after that, and sort of kind of made all the, all the kind of initial mistakes you would make when you start, you know, trading or investing. And then sort of like you fast forward, I got into, you know, mining Bitcoin in 2011. And then in 2014, started writing a protocol called Augur in the Ethereum space. And then kind of the investing kind of came in early stage projects kind of came as a follow on from that because founders started reaching out to me asking for advice on how to fundraise, how to pitch their startup, random technical questions. They wanted someone to bounce ideas back back and forth on. And that's how I started writing my first few like angel checks. You were, of course, part of, you built Augur and, and Augur's still around. How was like being one of the early projects on Ethereum? Do you have much of a comparison between how it was building back then to, to how founders build Ethereum projects now? Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's obviously very different. For instance, the first version of Augur was written in a programming language that doesn't even really exist today. It's called Serpent. It was sort of like a derivative of Python for smart contracts. You know, at one point we rewrote it all into Solidity. And that's actually what made it to mainnet because there are a bunch of bugs in Serpent. And so, so it's kind of very early days. Like, to give you another idea, you know, Solidity itself had never been had never been audited when we wanted to launch Augur. And so us and the Ethereum Foundation basically together funded the first audit of Solidity. Uh, we had Open Zeppelin audit it uh, to make sure that it was actually secure. And so like basic stuff, you know, that you would think from an infrastructure standpoint, like it was just early days back then. Today, it's incredibly different, right? Like if you want to run an Ethereum node, you're testing something or you want to put something in production, you just connect to like Alchemy and it, and it takes 30 seconds. Back when we started, you you had to run your own node infrastructure. You had to write all, this, all the code to make the nodes spin back up if they went down. All these sorts of problems you run into, you know, to, to today, I'd say it's still harder to build in Web3 than it is to build like a Web2 startup, but it's it's way easier now than, than back then. And I'd be keen to understand what you see as the biggest challenges you think crypto founders face right now. I think right now the, the biggest challenges founders face are sort of the things that every every company faces. You know, I think there's two hard problems every company faces, uh, maybe three. One is like hiring really good, you know, A plus talent. There's no like fast way to hire great people. It takes time. It's difficult to do well. And like maintaining a team of really high quality talent is just, it's just hard to do. That's one. I think the other challenge is um, the classic like 
how do you actually get product market fit problem, right? I think that's the hardest, the hardest thing with any startup is like, how do you actually create something from nothing and, you know, go from this like zero to one, this like new idea that you have in the world and actually get people to be aware of it, using it and to like actually like it. And then once you do that, then the challenge just to like, okay, now can you 100x that? Can you scale it? I think that that scale problem is almost like, I'd say the the hardest problem there is probably getting the product market fit in the first place. You know, there's, there's so many startups with great teams or people who've done stuff before, but actually building something that's like new in the world and getting people to use it is always like the hardest thing. That makes a lot of sense. And you you mentioned in, in your blog announcing your your move to Founders Fund that you often point to USDC as a practical use case of crypto. I tend to agree with that, but I'm keen to understand, are there any more examples that you lean towards? Yeah, I mean, there, there's some other stuff that's like adjacent to that, that, you know, that have real world use, that may not be the largest markets in the world, but still real world use. So another example would be like, when I was at Pantera, we invested in one of the early, some of the early rounds of Bitso, which is a big exchange in, in Latin America for crypto. And, you know, they power, you know, something on the order of roughly 10%, 7 to 10%, something like that, of the remittances between US and Mexico end up actually flowing through, through Bitso, which is interesting. That now the US-Mexico remittance market, it's not like the largest market in the world, uh, but it is a real use case that actually has real usage that's actually like adding value in the world. I think like as you go beyond that, you start to get into use cases that are much, much more speculative, you know, like where it's like people are doing things that that's sort of self-referential, you know, where they're trading in DeFi, but they're mostly trading other tokens in crypto. The reason I like to use USDC is it's kind of, it's kind of the first thing that's like not self-referential at all. It's like literally the US dollar. It's kind of like, it's almost sort of like the most anti-Bitcoin thing you could imagine, right? It's like, it's like, okay, we made this thing where there's a, this dollars held in the bank account somewhere and we put it on chain, but it is like a, a real use case, I think. And how do you feel about people kind of talk about the whole whole Web3 market? And then there's also been wording, I guess you could call it, to a whole sector of, of crypto companies in the Web 2.5 style kind of building for, for people that make it way easier to access crypto. And I think when you were talking about product market fit, it seemed like a lot of, I guess, the more crypto native projects are focused on the people who are deeply within crypto itself. And they don't really worry too much about UI, UX of people who, who don't get crypto. How do you see like the balance? Like when you're looking to invest in companies, how do you look at the balance between crypto native and, and more heavily focus on onboarding new people to crypto? Like the, the crypto native stuff, I would say it's like easier. It's like a safer bet in a sense, like in the sense of like, if you, if you know the audience, you know what you're building and, and you know, it's going to like, functionally work, those things tend to be more de-risked from an investment standpoint. That, that's why like infrastructure stuff is generally pretty safe to invest into. Um, like safe is, is if you buy a diversified portfolio of it sort of thing, versus like you can totally buy a diversified portfolio of A plus team, uh, consumer apps and crypto and, and like that portfolio, you know, could, could do very poorly. Uh, versus if you bought a portfolio of A plus teams working on infrastructure and you didn't like wildly overpay like bull market prices for it, like that portfolio is probably going to do pretty well. That basically means that like in practice, the consumer stuff is a lot harder and getting kind of these traditional mainstream users into crypto is much harder. I think people who will do it are going to probably start from like a, a non-crypto approach. If you think about kind of like the huge wave of like games that were created in crypto over the last few years, for instance, the first wave of games were basically like we made a very bad game, but we added money to it. So a bunch of people use it because they can make money playing it. And that's sort of the backwards approach. Like really what you want to do is you want to make a really great game and then add money to it. Then that will like supercharge it. 
like if you added a, a real dollar-based economy to like, you know, World of Warcraft or something, that'd be very interesting versus like some of these like trading card games are just not, not that fun to play. If you're going to go the direct consumer route, you have to start not from the crypto side. You have to start from like, what is this thing that we're building that people actually want first? You're still a founder and you've been a founder in the space, but as an investor, where do you lean towards investing? Is that more on that consumer side or infrastructure side? I don't really have like a sub, a sub sector focus in crypto. I've, I kind of done a wide range of stuff. When we were at Pantera, we did, you know, Alchemy, Starkware, Arbitrums, that's more kind of infra. But we also did stuff like One Inch in, in Matcha slash Zero X, you know, which are kind of more end consumer front ends for, for trading. And we also did a little bit of gaming stuff, but not a, not a ton. I'll look at pretty much anything. The only thing I haven't really touched very much is like social. I just don't really understand what makes social apps take off or not. It kind of feels like a headspace business. Uh, like if you ask yeah. me to predict, you know, which, which singer is going to get famous, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> um, versus like if someone built some infrastructure thing that like solves a, a real problem, you know, from like an engineering standpoint, that's, that's much easier for me to diligence and figure out whether I actually believe they've solved a problem or not. And then I guess along the same lines, what about investing in, in the gaming space? Yeah, we, a little bit at Pantera, like, like the idea was basically investing kind of a, a handful of really early stage, like seed stage things where you have people who've actually, you know, either built games before or have kind of like an early version that, that looks like actually fun to play. And it's actually a fun to play game. And if you're paying, you know, reasonable prices on those, on those investments, you're probably going to do decent um, just because it's like early stage seed deals. At Founders Home, we haven't done a lot. There's one company we invested in called The Mirror, which is building like uh, basically think Roblox, Decentraland, but better graphics than Decentraland and more open than Roblox, right? Like Roblox is a pretty centralized company. It's a publicly traded stock. You know, it's not like their their whole code base is an open source or anything like that. Any stuff like that is is potentially interesting because if you think about kind of like if this metaverse vision actually happens, it's going to be pretty hard to have like a closed source metaverse. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't make sense. It's not going to be interoperable if it's if it's all closed source. So, but we haven't done a ton. I say like I don't think historically Founders Fund has done a lot in in gaming either. I think it would be great to understand your your investment process at, at Founders Fund now. Yeah, so so there's a few different things. There's like sector we kind of already talked about. We'll look at pretty much anything. I'd even look at social. I, I just probably wouldn't do most of it because I don't really understand it. But if it's something that had some weird thing to it, I might, might be interested. So pretty sector agnostic uh, within crypto. Then you have stage. We're pri- primarily going to be doing C through Series B. We can directly go earlier or later than that. Um, that's just sort of where I think there's, you know, the most interesting times to be backing founders and in interesting stages of companies right now in crypto. That could change over time. Uh, but if you look at kind of the last the last cycle of crypto, almost all those big growth rounds, you know, Series C and beyond, a portfolio of those is is probably down 60, 70%. And if you just invested in the really popular ones, actually, you'd probably be at the zero, right? It's like FTX, Celsius, BlockFi, you know, the list goes on, on and on. So that's why the stage focus there. And then the last piece is like, what are we looking for from an investment standpoint? Yeah, I think when we look at anything, or when I look at anything, you know, I'm really trying to just figure out a really good read on like three or four things. This is a classic like, you know, team, product, and market questions. I think on team, it's sort of like the main question is like, is this person or these or these founders, are they gonna be able to like burst through brick walls to solve solve the problem they're trying to solve? I do think like the Paul Graham, like, is this person an animal? And, and can you actually say that without laughing? Is actually a pretty decent like test. There's also like this question of like, uh, are the founders like really compelling or not? Is their pitch, you know, clear? Do they have a clear vision? 
do they seem like someone who can raise additional capital in the future and also convince people to join them on this quest to solve whatever problem they're trying to solve? You know, are they trying to solve the problem for the right reasons? You know, people who, you know, someone says, oh, I'm, I'm solving the problem because I think it's a great way to make money. Those in that sense basically never worked out. The, the one exception people always used to say is FGX is the one exception. It's clearly not. Um, it went to zero. And so, you know, you have to, to be a founder and work, you know, these super long hours and deal with all these ups and downs. It has to be something where like, you just want to see this thing exist in the world because you you just want that. Thinking it's going to be a great dollar thing usually doesn't work. Market and product, I think, you know, the, the main things there are just like how fast are, um, well, one is like, does it actually make sense? But two is like, are they, how fast are people iterating? You know, the best teams iterate really fast on product. For instance, when I started building on Ethereum, one of the things I liked about it compared to Bitcoin is I, I was talking to Vitalik and he's like, why aren't you building on Ethereum? And I said, well, doesn't have support for um, strings like in, in computer science, you know, like a text string of, of words. And he responded back two hours later with like a GitHub commit where he added uh, strings to the, to the programming language on top of Ethereum. And so it's like people who are very fast in regular companies, it's like customer response time is another proxy metric for this. Like, you know, the best companies, like it's just, it's just like, like when we invested in Alchemy, you know, their customer response time was like 30 seconds. It didn't matter if it was like 3.30 a.m. And so you kind of have like this, like the best companies are just like, operate like insanely great like when it comes to like customer response time product iterative cycles like all these sorts of things and then the last the last piece is like market i think in crypto this is actually a, a pretty tough one to get right when you think about diligence in market the one good example here actually is the scalability landscape so in 2017 there were payment channels you know state channels there was plasma there was optimistic rollups um, there was other layer ones and there was like the stuff Starkware was doing, but really actually Starkware back then was a privacy solution that gave you scalability as a side benefit. That was the pitch. And it's like, okay, well, what do you invest in? So it's like figuring out like where the market's actually going, especially in crypto where it evolves so fast, but also like the bets in that space that were really good, I guess Optimism was created more recently, but you know, Starkware and, and Arbitrum were created in like late 2017. Now, you know, six years later or whatever, they're super hot. But you had to make that decision, you know, years ago when it was not clear at all. 100%. And what would be your your check sizes and, and that kind of stuff? I mean, check sizes, there's no like, you know, I'd say it's sort of very, very wide range, right? Like, I think like if you look at like what's standard, you know, on a seed, on a seed round, you're talking like typically one to $3 million, Series A, you're talking, you know, writing $10 million check, you know, Series B is 10 to 30 kind of range depending on a bunch of random parameters and stuff. But it's a pretty, pretty broad range. Yeah, I think the main thing that's important is like, you want to get enough, or at least for me, I want to get like enough, you know, ownership of whatever it is I'm investing in that like it actually makes like a difference in our in our portfolio, right? Which is why like, I'm fairly anti things like party rounds, because like, you just have a bunch of people who don't care that much on your cap table, which is never a good thing. Yeah, fair enough. And I guess you've been investing in crypto for a while now. Do you have any specific companies that you can talk about that maybe make up the anti-portfolio? So one thing is like Wintermute is one that I wish I wish I invested in earlier. So we did one of those rounds. I forget which round it was, but they had a round prior to that. It was like really early stage. I met the founders like really, really early on. It was just like unclear how large they would be able to capture of the market in market size questions like that. And, and it ended up not mattering. It was a, it's a great business. So that's probably one which I bet on earlier. The other big myth that I have, you know, anti-portfolio wise, I would say 
is Solana on that one. Basically, I think like I kind of made this bet that which I think which I think like basically what in practice the macro bet was right, but there were like a couple exceptions to it. And I think Solana was an exception, and that's why I got it wrong. Like the macro bet I made is like I think like the EVM ecosystem and like layer two is on top of that. You know things like Starkware and Arbitrum and Optimism and stuff. That's going to be what people will build on, and so that's what I want to be investing in. And that's like sort of true. Like eighty percent plus of the stuff I see is building in those ecosystems, the ETH ecosystem. But there were a couple exceptions to that, and I think Solana is kind of like probably the, the big one where they created an architecture that's like fairly different. It's very very scalable. It makes a different set of trade offs, which are kind of interesting, and clearly would have been a would have been a great um, investment in the earlier stage rounds. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Those are some pretty interesting misses. To get into our final questions, I guess, what's a secret obsession of yours that not many people know about? And I've probably talked about most of the things I'm obsessed about, um, <laughs> but but I think like I, I'm definitely like super super obsessed with like reading kind of random random like journal articles and stuff. Like like in my free time when I want to like take a break and just like chill, I'm often reading like medical papers, you know, about about like various either like aging stuff or random biotech stuff or like new drugs or studies that have gotten approved, you know, to, to cure some disease, whatever. That's kind of like one of my very random hobbies that's sort of always interested in me. That's pretty interesting. It doesn't sound like uh, a very chill thing. It, it seems quite complicated to go through some medical papers. It's relaxing to me because like, because <laughs> I, I don't have to do anything as a next step, right? Like, it's not like I'm like analyzing it and figure out whether I want to invest in one of these companies or not. I'm just yeah. purely reading it because I'm just like interested and in, in want to like know more about it, uh, which, which makes it like a pretty chill activity. Yeah, fair enough. Um, that's pretty cool. And finally, what's your most recent publicly announced investment and why did you make it? Well, I'm trying to think what that would be. We definitely want it at, at, at Founders Fund, but it's not, it's not publicly announced. I know, I guess, I, guess I'll, I, mean, I, I can give kind of the high level of the one we're doing at FF and won't, won't say the name or anything, but I think like very, very broad. I think there's this notion in, in crypto where people see someone ship something, it works quite well. And then they say, oh, the problem's now been solved. No one needs to create a company in this space again. And this happens in traditional tech too. And whenever people find themselves saying that, it's almost always wrong, uh, for one. And for two, you know, the, the company that, that does like have the guts to like try to go after whoever's like dominating the current space, if the, if the team's really good and they, and they move really quickly, like sometimes it actually works out very well. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think like one area that we're really interested in is if you look at DeFi right now, I think that's, that's happened a lot, um, where there's kind of been a few key areas in DeFi. People are like, okay, the winner's here, there's a winner there. And I'm not going to back any more companies in that space because the winner already exists. And what's interesting about that is it makes it, you know, maybe harder to raise capital if you're one of those companies trying to do that. But it also provides like a moat. If you actually have a really strong edge, there's not that many people gunning for, you know, some of this stuff. You know, that's, that's, that's very vague. But I would say DeFi kind of feels like it's in a trough of disillusionment right now. A lot of investors are kind of like, you know, not excited about whether, whether it's because like the regulatory environment in the U.S. or other things. And you know, whenever there's a sector where everyone's like bearish on it, I'm kind of like, okay, let's like dig in here and see what's actually going on. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening at DeFi right now. That's quite insightful. A final one to, to add to that in regard to the, the regulatory challenges that you mentioned, are you more interested in companies based out of the US or it doesn't really matter to you right now? I think it doesn't, it doesn't matter a lot. Obviously, if you're doing something very late stage, it, it you know probably matters more, but you know, for stuff like C and Series A, one, the regulatory environment is going to change a lot. You know, whatever people are saying now is not what they're going to be saying six months from now, a year from now, six years from now. I would say in practice, though, 
I anticipate something like 50% of the investments in the US, 50% outside, but I don't have a preference. Like, it doesn't make a difference to me whether you're in Singapore or the US. The other stuff is what matters, you know, is the team product market. Is there some like really differentiated kind of like zero to one thing that your product has, you know, actually makes you super different? And then geography doesn't doesn't matter to me. Great. No, that that's all the questions I have, Joey. I really appreciate your time. Time. I think that was quite a insightful conversation. Um, it was great to know the the kind of stuff you're looking at at, at Founders Fund as well. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was fun. <laughs>